Ruth chapter number 3, verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? And now is not Boaz of our kindred, with whose maidens thou wast? Behold, he winnoweth barley tonight in the threshing floor. Ruth 3, verse 3. Wash thyself, therefore, and anoint thee, and put thy raiment upon thee, and get thee down to the floor. But make not thyself known unto the man until he had done eating and drinking. Verse 4, it shall be when he lieth down that thou shalt mark the place where he shall lie. And thou shalt go in and uncover his feet and lay thee down and he will tell thee what thou shalt do. She said unto her, all that thou sayest unto me, I will do. And she went down unto the floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law bade her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of corn, and she came softly and uncovered his feet and laid her down. It came to pass at midnight that the man was afraid and turned himself, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. Skip it over verse 14 just to give you a little bit more in there about her being in his feet. She lay at his feet until the morning. I really like that phrase. She rose up before one could know another. And he said, let it not be known that a woman came into the floor. Uh, the last time I preached back in September, uh, we kind of got called up, hit a little rabbit trail on verse 1. and But we're going to continue. And the last time we, we, we kind of looked at verse 1, then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, my daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? And we talked about that rest. And also in the message, we finished up with many examples of people in the New Testament that got to the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, this is a great passage. And as I have shared with you throughout this book, that uh, it's no secret that Boaz is a picture and the type of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. In this wonderful book, he becomes the kinsman uh, redeemer. And of course, Ruth is a picture of the church, a Gentile bride. And, uh, and so it's easy to crisscross the, the examples and the symbolism, symbolisms of Christ in the church. And all oh, how it's important for God's people, the church, to get to the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, but yet we're going to back up just a little bit. And he says, she says in verse number one, Naomi speaks and says, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? That rest, if you look in chapter one, verse nine, when before they came out of Moab and she's talking to her two daughters-in-law, uh, Orpah and Ruth, and remember at the very beginning, they were both kind of almost, they, they, they were traveling not, not far. They were seemingly traveling with Naomi and then Orpah went back uh, to the city of Moab. But look at verse 9, no, no, Naomi speaks in Ruth chapter 1 and verse 9, The Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you in the house of your husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. So there's no doubt, according to Ruth 1, 9 and 3, 1, this rest is about speaking of marriage. 
And of course, the first thing that comes to mind probably when you hear rest and marriage, those sounds like two words that are complete opposite. Uh, I, I, I've never heard anybody say, man, I've been married for 30 years. I've been married 30 years. And let me change that day. Let me change that year. I've never heard anybody say, I've been married for 50 years and it's just been rest. Now I have some people, I've heard some people live that's been 50 years old. That's been married 50 years. Have you ever heard these folks say, I've been married 50 years. We never had an argument. They never had one cross word. Uh, I heard a man say that one time and I thought, man, I need to get on the altar. Either I need to get saved or he's lying one. Amen. But anyway, uh, but yes, our marriage and she is seeking uh, companionship, seeking husband, seeking marriage for Ruth. She wants the best for Ruth. She wants her to um, not just get out of the field of laboring and working. And of course, you know, uh, if, if you're looking for something, if you get married because you don't want to work, then you've entered into the wrong ordeal in your life. Because, uh, I, you know, marriage is work. If anybody has a good marriage, and, and, and maybe, they, maybe the people that did was married for 50 years and they had a crossword. Maybe they went overtime in their work. I don't know. But uh, but anyway, uh, the hardest thing I've done is uh, make marriage and have a relationship with another person and live with them for the rest of my life and continue to work one with another. Second hardest thing is raising children. It's not an easy task of raising children and try to be responsible for all these people in your home and lead God and direct and try to find the mind of God, and et cetera, et cetera. But there is a rest there. And, uh, you know, that rest means uh, it's unsettled, needing some direction and guidance. And that's what Naomi wants for Ruth. She wants her life. It's not that she's not going to do anything for the rest of her life, but she needs guidance and direction, a life that has plan and purpose and a sense of settled. And that's what that rest is. You know, it's, it's, it's a peace, uh, if you want to put it right down to it. And listen... And I know there could be problems in the home. I know there could be debates in the home and there could be arguments or quarreling or, or, or discussions in the home. But also there ought to be in our Christian homes a great level of peace. Hey, if we claim to know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, the Prince of Peace, then the peace that passes all understanding ought to take up residence in a restful way in our heart and in our homes as well. You know, the lost world is unsettled. The lost world is in turmoil. The lost world are the ones that's like a squirrel or should be like a squirrel in a wheel cage. I mean, they're just burning the candles at both ends of life and not knowing why. And, you know, you talk to people all the time and, and they'll say, well, why? I don't even know why I'm here. Well, I can tell you why you're here. You're here so you can please God according to Revelation 4.11. And so you can be saved and put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and then grow in his grace and knowledge and live by faith for all of the, the rest of your days and, and please him with your life. But that Bible says uh, that the way of the transgressor is hard. You know, my dad was a lost man for 67 years. Uh, growing up, he was, uh, I don't want to get into all that, but my dad was not a very received and very light man. Uh, he had, we had neighbors, of course, and my neighbors didn't like him. He, 
his own family, maybe his mother did, but his own family uh, really uh, couldn't get along with him. He was a difficult man. He was a man that would give you the shirt off his back if you was in need. Um, he would aid you, but at the same time, he'd take his pistol out and knock you across the head. I saw him do that one time when I was 14 years old, put about 28 stitches in the back of a man's head in town. Now you say, why'd you tell us that? Well, I'm just, just tell you a little bit about my upbringing. It was not rest. I promise you that. Because I was raised in a non-Christian home. There was not a lot of peace and there was not a lot of rest. And I, I saw it firsthand that the way of the transgressor is hard. But yet, when I got saved for 25 years, I prayed for my dad to be saved. Because you can see that he was not settled. He was not, he was just running life as hard as he could. And then at 67 years old, after he got out of being incarcerated for about 10 years, he trusted Christ as his Savior. And he told me, he says, you know, Mike, I lived my life the way I wanted to live it for all these years. And I got, I got to 67 years old and there's nothing there. Nothing. And, of course, he realized what we've been talking about all those years about putting your faith in Jesus Christ and putting your faith in Christ. And, of course, when he got saved at 67 years old, he's 81 now, when he got saved... Uh, the first thing he said to me is, I wish I'd have done this years ago. You know why? Because he entered into a peace, a rest with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what, this, that's what the world needs. That's why we're door hanging. That's why we're gospel preaching. That's why we're knocking on doors telling people about Jesus. Because we want them to enter into a rest, a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so our homes ought to be that way. He's, Naomi said that it may be well with thee. And now it is not Boaz, our kindred, verse 2. In other words, he's a- available. He's an eligible bachelor for, Na- uh, for Ruth. They already already been seeing each other in the workforce. They'd already been seeing each other in the field. They know a little bit about each other. But uh, Naomi is trying to, to go, take it to the next step and see if there is more there. And he said, and she said, Behold, he winnoweth barley tonight in the flesh, threshing floor. Now that winnoweth barley tonight in the threshing floor, it's at the end of the harvest. It's at the end of the barley season. And I went on this before, and I'm not going to recap all of that. But I will say this, when they broke down the wheat, when they broke down whatever they were uh, separating, uh, they're separating the, the corn, they're separating the wheat from the stalk and from the chaff and all of that. They would trodden down with their feet. They would use oxen to do that as well. And then at the end, on a good, clear air night, when they knew the, the, the breeze would be coming through the valley, uh, what was left, they would scoop up that barley, they would scoop up that, uh, that, that corn, if you will, with stalks and shucks and everything else, and they would throw it up. And, and as we know from the New Testament, there was a separation of the chaff from the wheat. And the wind did that. And so, and that's what's happened. They're at the end of this, uh, of this widow with barley in the night on the threshing floor. And so Boaz is tired. He's got his men there. It was a festival time. It wasn't just him out by himself doing that. They've got stockpiles of grain everywhere. They're guarding it with their life because people will come in and steal it. And so she's telling Ruth, 
Now, Ruth, you need to get down there tonight uh, to the fleshing floor. And uh, now you need to make sure in verse 3 that, uh, that when he's done enjoying himself and done eating and done drinking, that then you take part and do what I tell you to do. So she's given Ruth some very sound instruction, very sound advice. Look what he tells her. He, she, she says, Ruth, verse 3, Wash thyself therefore, and anoint thee, and put thy raiment upon thee, and get thee down to the floor. You know, looking at this from a, just a, a passage without trying to spiritualize the passage or, or make just some type of application, just looking at that, you can see uh, you catch more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. Wouldn't you say? I mean, she's telling, it's not that Ruth walked around with no clothes on. She says, she's telling Ruth, Ruth, you need to get yourself prettied up a little bit. Amen. And you know, you've been out there in the field. Your fingers are dirty. Your hair stringy. I mean, you, 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 need, you need to get your hair washed. You need to get your hair done. Amen. Men get their hair cut. Women get their hair done. Amen. <laughs> and so, and she's telling, she, she's giving her a recipe to just take the extra step and let, hey, I want to show you what I look like with Sunday go to meeting clothes on. Not just the work field clothes, not just barley all over me, not just sweat and dirt pouring off of me. And she said, I want you to wash yourself, clean yourself. Now, fellas, I'm going to tell you something. But I tell you, there's going to come a day in your all's life, if it hadn't already, that you're going to try to impress the opposite sex. And I'm going to tell you something. Uh, hygiene helps. Good hygiene helps. Amen. Amen, Brother Paul. I mean, get you some... Listen, I'm a firm believer in Old Spice. Get you some Old Spice deodorant. Amen. Old Spice body wash. Amen. If you don't know what that is, ask your grandpa. Amen. But uh, get you... Amen. You got to keep yourself looking clean, looking self, uh, look, looking good. I mean, every now and then you're show a little dirt. Every now and then you're show you you can sweat. Are we all right? Every now and then you ought to show somebody that you can work. Amen. But I tell all of my girls, listen, you marry somebody that's saved, born again, and loves the Lord, but don't you marry a lazy man. Amen. Because don't you marry a lazy man. And fellas, you don't need to be lazy. You need to be hard working. I mean, get yourself cleaned up, look good, look nice, but also show them that you know how to work from time to time too. But anyway, she's telling Ruth how to make yourself presentable where, you know, he'll say, he'll perk up a little bit, he'll wake up from his sleep, and he'll say, hey, boys, what's going on here? Amen. So she said, wash yourself and anoint thee. Uh, put some, uh, my grandpa used to call perfume perfume. Isn't that funny? That old mountain fella, he used to call it perfume. He said, y'all got too much of that perfume on. Y'all need to calm that down. I can remember him telling my mom that. But he, that's what he's telling her, that's what she's telling uh, Ruth to do. Get cleaned up. Uh, make yourself uh, smell good. My mama used to call it smelling sauce. I know it's weird. I was raised up in Appalachian Mountains, man. My mama didn't call it cologne. She didn't call it, you know, fragrance. She said, you boys, she raised three boys. She said, you boys get back in there and put some smelling sauce on you. We knew what she's talking about. We had a little car. Y'all remember those? Y'all mean we had a little car with smelling sauce in it? Well, I'm losing you now for sure. Amen. 
You can buy them on eBay for about $400, amen, now. But anyway, so she says, Wash thyself therefore and anoint thee, get yourself cleaned up, smelling good, and put thy raiment upon thee. And this is just not work raiment. This is woo and raiment. Amen. This kind of raiment, this is wild raiment. Hey, this is good clothes, uh, nice clothes, dinner, uh, dinner clothes. But make not thyself known unto the man until he had done eating and drinking. Now let me get to preaching a little bit. What she's trying to do, she's trying to get Ruth to prepare. Let me say this. You know, if God's going to use any of us, God doesn't use anybody unless there's some preparation involved. And you know, um, if, 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 if a young man is going to pursue a young lady and, and get the catch of his life, um, there has to be some preparation involved. If a young lady is, is wanting to marry a young man that loves the Lord and serves the Lord and wants to follow the Lord all the days of his life and that's the kind of man she wants and, uh, and that's, that's honorable, that's very commendable, that should be desirable. But also, there's going to have to be some preparation. You know, for people to get a, have good relationships in their life, there's going to have to be a time in their life. And it, and it doesn't come to an end. It doesn't just come to a stop. But we have got to learn to prepare ourselves to be able to work with people and labor with people and like people and love people. It takes preparation. It takes a conscious decision. Hey, uh, you know, I need God to use me. I need God to fill me. I need God to lead me. I need God to direct, direct me. Lord, you said be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Lord, help me today to build relationships with my friends and my family, my foes. Help me, Lord, to build the right kind of relationship that may be productive, especially if I'm trying to reach them for the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, there's no doubt that God prepared Noah to do that great work, uh, to build that ark. Listen, there's no doubt that God prepared Abraham on, in the earth of the Chaldees when he called him out from the Mesopotamian Valley. Listen, there is no doubt that God prepared Abraham for that great work and, and, and lead him and guide him. God prepared Abraham. God pre- prepared Isaac. God prepared Jacob. Listen, God prepared uh, in about a 20 year span, maybe a little bit longer, uh, Joseph, before he took him to the palace, he had to take him to the pit first. Before he took him to the palace, he had to take him down into Potiphar's house. I just taught this in junior church. Before he took him to the palace and made him a wonderful blessing among the Egyptian people and all that around, he had to take him down into prison for 14 years. And we don't like that kind of process. We don't like that kind of preparation. But I'm telling you, Joseph would have never been the prince that he became if it wasn't for the pit and the Potiphar and the prison that God used him and molded him and prepared for him for that good work that he had him called for. Uh, there's another, there's another great character in your Bible, and that's Moses. You know, he raised up in Pharaoh. He was raised up in the house of Pharaoh. Give, according to Acts 7, he was given all the upbringing of education of his modern day that was even offered. Brilliant man. And he had all the disposed education at his hands. But yet at the age of 40, he saw an Israelite being mistreated. What did he do? He murdered that Egyptian. He murdered that man. 
Of course, he ran and he fled on the backside of the desert for another 40 years. And God just simply said, you know, he's not ready yet. 40 years, I got to put another 40 years on him, backside of the desert, made a, a sheep herder out of him, if you will. He's there with his, uh, his wife and his father-in-law Jethro. And he is working on Moses and he's preparing Moses and he's teaching Moses. And then when he got Moses to the point at the age of 80 years old and he said, you're ready, he spoke to him in that burning bush and said, I got another 40 years for you and you're ready now. God uses people that takes time to allow God to prepare them. You look at the life of our Savior. Stepped out at 30 years of age. His ministry only lasted three and a half years. And he'd done his preaching, his miracles, and his teaching, and all of his works there. And went to the cross, and died, was buried, and rose again. But there's very little said about the first 30 years of his life. But if we can sum it all up, it was preparation. He was working, and being obedient to his mom and dad. He was being submissive. The Son of Man was being submissive to those around him, to his authority. He was learning as the Son of Man. Though he possessed all things and knew all things, he still humbled himself. And he was being prepared, not just by Mary and Joseph, but also by his heavenly Father. And then when he was ready, he left that old carpenter shop one day and said, Dad, i got to go. I've got a greater calling. I'm just simply saying God uses an individual. He's been preparing Ruth for this moment. Uh, she's going to be part of the lineage before the chapter's over. She's going to be part of the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's been working on her and aiding her and preparing her even when she did not know she was being prepared by the Lord. How can we prepare her, ourselves? Well, if you look at verse number 3, in this passage of Scripture, she's, her goal is to get to the feet of Boaz. Her goal is to get noticed by Boaz. Her intentions is to let him know, I'm available for holy matrimony if, you, if that's what you want. Therefore, she prepared herself. And I'd like to give you just a few more things about being prepared. If you're going to prepare yourself for the Lord's work, if you're going to prepare yourself for the, the act of sitting at the feet of Jesus, number one, she, Ruth, washed herself. She got into a cleansing process. She began to prepare herself with washing herself. She was going uh, to give attention to Boaz and let us sure. Therefore, she began to wash herself and, and take a bath and get clean before presenting herself. You know, as God's people, we should learn to, to, to stay clean and be cleansed. We need to, listen, that's why we need to learn the Word of God. That's why the Bible tells us in John 17, 17, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy Word is truth. The Word of God is a sanctifying agent. That's why we ought to read it. That's why we ought to study it. That's why we ought to memorize it. That's why we ought to meditate upon it. Because it is a sanctified truth. That, and we're sanctified through the Word of God. In John 15, verse 3, Jesus said, Now you're clean through the Word which I've spoken unto you. If we're going to get at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
if we're going to get into a more unity with the Lord, there has to be a continual, there has to be a daily cleansing. He said in Psalm 119 verse 9, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed according to the word thereof. He said in Psalm 119 verse 11, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not uh, sin against thee. And so in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 22, it is the word of God that cleanses our soul. And look at that great verse. Hold your place at Ephesians 5.26. Um, Ephesians 5.26. I'm talking about if you're going to come to the Lord and get more closer to Him, you've got to keep yourself clean. I know judicially we're saved. I know judicially we're bought by the grace of God. But also, if you're saved, sometimes our fellowship can get out of whack with the Lord. And that's why we need to confess our sins. He says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us for our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In Ephesians 5, 26, that He might sanctify as set apart and cleanse it, talking about the church in verse 25, that he might sanctify and cleanse it by the washing of water by the word. You see, to keep yourself clean, to keep yourself pure, to keep yourself holy, to keep yourself right, you have got to use the word of God on a daily basis and allow it to be a cleansing agent to you. He says, um, of course, you can see David's confession of sin in Psalm 53, how he's opened up his heart, opened up his mind, his soul is in travail, and he's using the first 12 verses of that, of that chapter, confessing his sin so he can be able to use of God again. If we don't keep short accounts with God, if we don't keep sin cleaned up and confessed up in our own life, we're going to limit God and how he can lead us and guide us and direct us and use us. Um, so, um, uh, also in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, it's not just the Word of God that keeps us clean, but the blood of Jesus Christ keeps us clean. Look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. If we walk in the light, this is speaking to God's people in John, but if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. So you're walking with the Lord, you're having fellowship with God's people, that means there's no bitterness. That means there's no animosity. That means there's no uh, dissension, no division among God's people. If you walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. As one preacher says, if your horizontal is right, your vertical, vertical ought to be right, as well as your horizontal with people should be right. And then therefore the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. So there's times, even as God's people, even though we're saved and on our way to heaven, but there's times that we allow this temple to get infested with sin. And if it goes unconfessed and we put it underneath the rug and we don't deal with it, uh, we're going to limit God and what He can do with our life. And we come to the Lord. We confess our sin. According to 1 John 1, 9, He said, if we confess our sins, He's faithful. He's faithful to forgive us for our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And when you confess your sin to the Lord, you know what that is? That's looking at the sin the way the Lord looks at it. Lord, I looked upon a woman in lust today, and your word says that's adultery. I've committed adultery. That's confessing sin. Lord, I took something today that I shouldn't have took. Lord, I'm a thief. Amen. 
That's, that's, that's looking at your sin the way God looks at it and confessing your sin and say, Lord, I did that today. Lord, I should have witnessed to that individual today at Walmart. You tugged my heart and I had a gospel track in my purse. I had a gospel track in my pocket and I, and I knew you want me to witness to him, but I didn't do that. And your word says to him that know to do good and do it not to him in his sin. And Lord, I've sinned today because you wanted me to do something right. And I did what I wanted to do. And you confess that to the Lord. Amen. The Bible says if you do that, he'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Amen. And so if we're going to get to the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to have to get cleansed. Sinners in the New Testament, when they came to the Lord Jesus Christ, like the, uh, the, uh, the wild man of Gadara in Luke chapter number 8, he came to the Lord Jesus Christ with his sin. He got saved but he also got cleansed. There was also other people that was already saved that came to the Lord Jesus Christ and they would get help and they would get cleansed as well. Wash thyself therefore. She said in verse number three to Ruth, wash thyself therefore. If we're going to get closer to God, if we're going to come to the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ and enjoy unity with the Savior, there also must be a cleansing of our sin. I'm telling you, if, if there's, I, I'm, I'm talking about, when was the last, listen, listen, when was the last time you got along with God and you just said, Lord, I, you, you know, I, I commit sin that I, I, sometimes I commit sins, don't even know I'm committing sin. But when was the last time you got so along with God, you said, Lord, I'm not leaving my quiet moment. I'm not leaving my spot until you reveal to me the sins that's in my life. And Lord, if you reveal the sins that's in my mind, my mouth, my heart, my manners, my motives, Lord, if you, if you reveal that to me, I'll confess it and I'll forsake it. Because you said in your word, if I, whosoever, whoso confesses and forsaketh his sin shall prosper. Lord, I want my Christian life to prosper. And Lord, if there's any wicked way within me, Lord, show that to me. When's the last time you took time to do that? Where you just, Lord, Holy Spirit, please bring it to my mind. Bring it to my thought. Bring it to my heart. I'm not leaving here until I'm totally cleansed and clean. Amen. And so wash thyself. And then he said in verse 3, Ruth chapter 3, verse 3, Wash thyself therefore and anoint thee. Anoint thee. Look at Isaiah 61.1. This anointing, uh, anointing has, to, has to do with oil in your Bible. But I'll just go ahead and get to Isaiah. Look to Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61. This anointing in Scripture also has a connection with the Holy Spirit of God. Look at Isaiah chapter 61. Now this is uh, the prophecy of the Messiah's future ministry. But look at it. He said in Isaiah 61.1, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because He hath anointed me. That's anointing. That's empowerment. He said, He hath anointed me. The Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. And He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to the opening of the prison to them that are bound. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. He was anointed by the Spirit of God for preaching and for service and doing what God want him to do. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 16. You know this. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 16. 
I'm trying to show you connection that this anointing that we need is anointing of the Spirit of God. Uh, look at first, uh, first Samuel chapter number 16. First, a lot of Baptists don't talk like that, but it's Bible language. Uh, look at first Samuel chapter number 16, and this is Samuel took verse 13, then Samuel took the horn of oil. That's what anointing was. That's what Ruth was doing. She was anointing. She was cleaning. She was putting nice perfume on her, if you will. But Samuel, in, in 1 Samuel 16, 13, then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed, and he's anointed David here for king, for power, for position, for leadership, and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So you see the connection. There was an anointing by God's man uh, for David. And that anointing was associated with the empowerment and the anointing of the Holy Spirit of God. And let me point this out. David was not just a man chosen just off the whim to be anointed for the Spirit of God to come upon him to be the next king of Israel. But God been working on this young man's life preparation since he was a teenage boy. As he was a shepherd in his father's field. As he's out there with that lion, out there with that bear. Amen. I'm telling you, God been preparing him since a young man, since a child, and bringing him up, having victory after victory after victory after victory, so one day he could stand with God's man and be anointed, and the Spirit of God would come upon him, and he would use him and have a work to be done for God's honor and for God's glory. Look at Acts chapter 10, verse number 38. Look at Acts chapter number 10, verse 38. Anointed. You say anointed by what? By the Holy Spirit of God. For what? For service. For power. To doing God's work God's way. Look at Acts chapter number 10 verse number 38. Acts chapter number 10 verse number 38. The Bible says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. Hey let me ask you something. If Jesus of Nazareth was anointed by the power of God. Wouldn't you want to be anointed by the power of God? I mean, we're to walk in His footsteps, the Bible teaches us, and we're to follow Him. We're to take up our cross daily. Well, the Bible says God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, that we ought to be going to God and say, God, would you anoint me? Would you put your power upon me? I know we have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God, but will you put him upon me and do him and do me with power from on high? He said in Luke 24, 49, he said, tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost comes upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. That's Acts 1, 8. Listen, that's what it is, the anointing power of the Holy Spirit of God. And Jesus was anointed by God with the Holy Ghost and with power. You see how anointed and Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Listen, there's no way we can do God's work 
without that anointing. There's no way we can do God's will without that anointing. I'm not talking about some kind of wildfire, uh, wildfire uh, charismatic business and things that they do is not even found in Scripture. Amen. I get all that. But there is an endowment. Luke 24, 49. There is a, a power, Acts 1, 8, that possesses. The Bible says that we have now, uh, we have not the spirit of power, fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. And this anointing is for service. This anointing is not for show. This is anointing that we may fulfill God's plan, God's purpose, and God's will and God's way in our own lives. It is a life of consecration. It's a life of separation. It's a life where Ephesians 5.18 says, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but it's a command to every child of God, but be filled with the Spirit. You say, how am I going to do that? How is God's anointing going to come on me? Well, number one, you need to be saved. There's no doubt you cannot have unconfessed sin in your life and living in sin and wickedness and breaking fellowship with God all the time. You're not going to have God's endowment, God's power, God's anointing on your life. You're not going to be prepared. i tell you what, you're going to have to die to sin. Amen. If we be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God, as Romans teaches us, we need to be dead to self. Look at this great verse in John chapter 12. We need to be dead to our own wishes, our own wills, our own desires, our own way. We need to be dead to ourselves. We need to be dead to our sin. We need to be dead uh, to the world. Look at John chapter 12, verse number 24. Watch this. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat. That's God's people. We're likened unto wheat in the word of God. Separate the wheat from the chaff. The wheat will go off into everlasting fire and destruction, as the Bible says. But the, but, uh, I mean, the chaff will go off into everlasting fire, but the wheat will go into eternal life. Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die. That's why Paul said, I die daily. Lester Roloff used to say that the Apostle Paul jumped in the graveyard every morning. And that's true. He had to die to his own wishes. He had to die to his own will. He had to die to his own self. He had to die to his own sin. And Jesus said, except a corn of wheat die, that's talking about you and I, fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. There's a whole chapter in John 15 about abiding in Christ. And if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. You know that corn, when it's planted in the ground, it literally, when it's right before it germinates, right before it begins to sprout and grow, it literally breaks down in the soil. It literally rots in the earth that it's under. And it's basically dead. And then just when it's dead of itself, looks like there's no ray of hope, then it, as the, as the verse says in John 12, 24, it abides alone, and then it begins to bring forth and that's only by the power of God that that can even happen, even in nature. And it can happen in your life that we be dead indeed under sin, but alive to God. And we be that corn of wheat that fall into the ground and die and biteth alone and abide in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he abides in you. And when you think nothing else can happen, 
There's no other where else I can go to. God starts working and breathing life and brings forth much fruit. You know where a good place for that separation is? On the threshing floor. And you know what? They, Boaz was winnowed that barley. And he brought some consecration. He brought some separation of that chaff from that wheat. And I tell you, it was work. It was labor. It was pounding. It was beating. And then he had to will with it. He had to throw it up and let the wind take out the impurities and let the wind take out the chaff. And what was lent was good grain that was worth something. And you know what? If we're going to be anointed by God, if we're going to be used of God, we're going to have to get ourselves to the point and say, Lord, would you, would, would you break us? I know that's hard. I cringe even saying that. Lord, 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 would you help me die to my sin, die to myself? Lord, if need be, put me on the threshing floor. Lord, if I need some beating, hmm? if I need some separation, if I need whatever I need, but Lord, would you get me to the point where you can just send, send me up and the Holy Ghost breeze separates the chaff, separates the impurities from my, from my life that I may be used and bring forth much fruit. I tell you, the anointing of the Holy Ghost of God is not going to come any other way.